0: the Heidelberg Catechism. Let's read together Lord's Day 17. How does Christ's resurrection benefit us? First, by his resurrection he has overcome death so that he can make a share in the righteousness which he had obtained for us by his death. Second, by his power we too are raised up to a new life. Third, Christ's resurrection is to us a sure pledge of our glorious resurrection. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, Leo Tolstoy is a famous Russian writer. He is best known for his novels, War and Peace, Anna Karenina, and Crime and Punishment. He also wrote uh, Confession. In it, he wrote, My question, that which at the age of 50 brought me to the verge of suicide, was the simplest of questions lying in the soul. Of every man, a question without an answer to which one cannot live. It was What will come of what I am doing today or tomorrow? What will come of my whole life? Why should I live? Why wish for anything or do anything? It can also be expressed thus. Is there any meaning to my life that the inevitable death awaiting me does not destroy? Tolstoy was questioning the meaning and purpose of his life. He tells us that he wrote books to make money, to take care of his family, and to distract himself from questions about meaning. But later, when seized with questions about the meaning of life and death, He came to regard his literary works as worthless. Despite fame, fortune, and family, he wanted to kill himself. He claimed that being born was a stupid trick played on him. Sooner or later, he would have to face disease and death, and then he would cease to exist. For him, the recognition of his impending death ruined. The joy of life. Tolstoy is obviously someone who thought deeply about these things. He comes to some of the same conclusions as the preacher did in Ecclesiastes. He recognized that if all we have in life is the here and the now, then life is meaningless. It is a striving after the wind. Paul said something similar in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 19. He said, If in Christ we have hope, in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Life without God, life without a future, is empty and meaningless. So what is it that gives meaning and purpose to our lives? How is it possible for us to live joyous lives? To do that, we need to have assurance that there is life after death. We need to know that there is a future for the children of God. The gospel assures us of this. It teaches us that Christ died for our sins and that he rose again to grant us new life. In Him. It assures us that just as Christ was raised from the dead, so will we all be raised on the final day. Christ's resurrection is foundational for this perspective on life. With the Church of All Ages, we confess that on the third day, He rose from the dead. This confession is what gives us hope for the future. I preach you the word of God under the following theme. Christ's resurrection provides us with a living hope for the future. We'll consider the proofs for Christ's resurrection and our living hope in Christ's resurrection. When non-Christians come in contact with the gospel, one of the things that they struggle with is the Bible's teaching about the resurrection. We see that happening already in Paul's day. When he was in Athens, he addressed many of the philosophers of the day at the Areopagus. They were very interested in what he had to say about the unknown God they worshipped. He told them about the living God of heaven and earth, who created the world and everything in it. These men continued listening attentively to what Paul had to say until he spoke of Christ's resurrection from the dead. That caused some of them to mock, and it finished Paul's address to them that day. People are uncomfortable with the idea that Jesus was raised from the dead. Our experience on this earth is that dead is dead. Dead. When people die, that is the end of their earthly existence. To come to life again would require a miracle. It would require something supernatural to happen. Since people never experienced that, they don't think it can happen. Since the time of the Enlightenment, Western culture has had a bias against miracles and against supernatural events. People only believe what they can see and experience and prove. They say that we're now in this scientific age and that we cannot be fooled like the uneducated masses of previous centuries. Most people think that when it comes to Jesus' resurrection, the burden of proof is on believers to give evidence that this has happened. Do we have any kind of evidence to support our claim that Jesus Christ rose from the dead? We do, beloved. There are two specific proofs we have to support the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. The first concerns the empty tomb. The Gospels all record how on the third day after his death, women went to the tomb where Jesus' body had been laid. But when they got there, the tomb was empty. Matthew tells us about how the Jewish leaders set a guard at Jesus' tomb. They told Pilate, Sir, we remember that, that how that imposter said while he was still alive, After three days I will rise. They asked, Therefore order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest the disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead, and the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate assigned a guard of soldiers, and they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. The next day, some of the women went to see the tomb. Matthew tells us that there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was dazzling, and the guards trembled and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid for I know whom you for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here for he has risen as he said. Come see the place where he lay. After this some of the guards went into the city and told the chief priests what had happened. After assembling the elders and taking counsel the religious leaders bribed the guards to say that the disciples had stolen Jesus' body. John's Gospel tells us about how Peter and John went to Jesus' tomb. John arrived first and stooping to look in. He saw the linen cloths lying there, but did not go in. Peter arrived and went into the tomb. He too saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. The cloths Jesus had been buried in were still in the tomb. But Jesus' body was not there. The tomb was empty, for Jesus was raised from the dead. There's also a second proof for Jesus' resurrection from the dead. After he rose from the dead, Jesus appeared to many of his followers. Matthew tells us that as Mary Magdalene and the other Mary departed from the tomb, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. It is clear that Jesus was not just a ghost. For the women took hold of his feet, and they worshipped him. Luke tells us of the two men on the road to Emmaus, whom Jesus met on the road. He asked them what they were talking about. They shared how Jesus had been crucified, but how some women in their company could not find his body and had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Jesus explained to them from Moses and the prophets how it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and die before entering his glory. When they came to Emmaus, they convinced their fellow traveler to stay with them. When at table, he took the bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them. Luke says, and their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. John tells us about doubting Thomas. He was not with the disciples on the first Sunday when Jesus appeared to them. The other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. He said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger in the mark of the nails and place my hand in his side, I will never believe. The next Sunday, Jesus appeared to the disciples again. He told Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Do you know how this skeptical, doubting man responded? Thomas confessed, my Lord and my God. He too was fully persuaded that Jesus rose from the dead. Now, some of you may argue that these gospel proofs are not very convincing. They're just stories written by Jesus' followers. Some people suggest that they're not based on historical fact. They suggest that the gospel accounts evolved in a different way. They say that Jesus' followers were heartbroken at his death. Since they believed that he was the promised Messiah, they may have begun to sense that he was still with them after his death, guiding them and living on in their hearts, in spirit. Some may even have felt they had visions of him speaking to them. And since these were unenlightened people who believed in the possibility of someone being raised from the dead, over time, the stories of Jesus living on spiritually developed into stories that he was actually raised physically. Now, beloved, there's a number of problems with this theory. It assumes that the gospel accounts were written a long time after Jesus' death and resurrection Most historians agree that Matthew, Mark, and Luke were written in the 50s and 60s A.D. That's only 20 to 40 years after Jesus' death. Yet the first accounts of the empty tomb and the eyewitnesses are not found in the gospel, but in Paul's letters. Historians agree that many of them were written just 15 to 20 years after Jesus' death. One of the most interesting accounts is what Paul writes in the first verses of 1 Corinthians 15, which we read together. Paul claims that Christ was raised on the third day. This shows that he's talking about a historical event, it's not a symbol or a metaphor. Paul goes on to speak of the witnesses to whom Jesus appeared. The risen Jesus appeared not just to individuals or to small groups. Paul says that Jesus appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive. We need to understand, beloved, that Paul wrote his letter to a church, to the church at Corinth. It was a public document written to be read aloud. Paul was inviting anyone who doubted that Jesus had appeared to people after his death to go talk to the eyewitnesses if they wished. These men could be consulted to corroborate Paul's claim that Jesus rose from the dead. This was a bold challenge. Since it was made during the Pax Romana, travel around the Mediterranean was safe and easy. Paul could not have made such a challenge if these eyewitnesses did not exist. There's a few more things that doubters of the resurrection need to explain. If the gospel accounts are fabrications, why do they each state that the first witnesses were women? In Jesus' day, women had such a low social status that their testimony was not admissible in a court of law. If you were making up a story to prove Jesus rose from the dead, you would not list women as the first eyewitnesses. The only reason why women are shown to have met Jesus first is because this is what really happened. Those who doubt the resurrection also need to explain how the Christian church was born. Throughout history, there have been many groups that followed some charismatic leader. Yet usually when the leader died, the group was dispersed. This actually happened to Christ's disciples in the days after his death. They were discouraged and disheartened. Yet their lives changed dramatically when Jesus appeared to them alive again. These timid disciples who had deserted and denied their Savior became bold witnesses, proclaiming his victory over sin and death even when the Jewish authorities arrested them for speaking about Jesus and made threats to silence them, they were not cowed into submission. The followers of Jesus proclaimed the news of Jesus' death and resurrection far and wide. They were opposed, first by the Jews and later by the Romans. The believers in Jerusalem were bitterly persecuted. When the gospel spread through the Roman world, Jews and Gentiles alike gave Christians a hard time. Yet the followers of Jesus were willing to suffer persecution. And many even gave their lives as martyrs for the gospel. For them, the resurrection was not a myth or some loosey-goosey theory. They confessed Jesus Christ as their risen Lord. They were willing to be beheaded or thrown to the lions or to die at the stake for their beliefs. There's one final thing that those who deny the resurrection need to explain. It is how the Christian community was able to come up with a set of beliefs that were brand new. They had a resurrection-centered view of reality They believed that the future resurrection of the dead had begun in Jesus. They believed that he had a transformed body that could walk through walls and yet eat food. Now the Jews believed in a resuscitated body that would be the same as our earthly bodies. The Greeks believed in The Greeks believed that in the life to come we would not have bodies, but live in some spiritual form. Yet the Christian church believed that Jesus' resurrection guaranteed our future resurrection and that our bodies will be transformed as Jesus' body was after he rose from the dead. The point I want to make should be clear by now, beloved. It truly requires faith. To believe that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and being convinced of what we do not yet see. Yet the Christian faith is a reasonable faith. We cannot absolutely prove that Jesus rose from the dead to a skeptic who refuses to believe. But those who do not believe in the resurrection have a lot of explaining to do. They need to explain the empty tomb and the many witnesses who saw Jesus alive. They need to explain why people were willing to die rather than give up their beliefs in Jesus being Lord and King over all. They need to explain where these new ideas about A resurrected body came from. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20, Paul concludes, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. This is not some fantasy made up by the disciples. It really happened. This brings us to our second point, our living hope in Christ's resurrection. The fact that Christ was raised from the dead is not some marginal issue, beloved. It's a matter of life and death. Paul makes a point plainly. He says, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. Why does Paul say this? Why is believing that Jesus rose from the dead so essential for Christians? Paul answers this question in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 17. He says, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. It's not sufficient to believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sins. We must accept the resurrection to receive this gift. Christ's death means little, unless he has power over the grave. Our catechism talks about that. It asks about how Christ's resurrection benefits us. The first point it makes is that by his resurrection he has overcome death. So he can make us share in the righteousness he has obtained for us by his death. We know that Christ earned our righteousness with his death on the cross. His resurrection is proof that God considered his death sufficient to pay for our sins. It gives us the assurance that payment was made in full for all our sins. The result is that God considers us not guilty of any sin. And that gives us real hope in the midst of our misery. God doesn't judge us as sinners worthy of condemnation. In Christ, we have a new status, a new identity. In him and through him, we are the children of God, redeemed and renewed by the blood and spirit of our Savior. When God looks at us, he does so through eyes of love. He views us as his dearly beloved people. Our Catechism says that by Christ's power, we too are raised up to a new life. What we need to understand is that spiritually we go through the same process Christ underwent. Just as Christ physically died and rose again, so in our lives, by the power of Christ, we die to sin and we're raised up to walk in newness of life. The basic point is simple, beloved. We're no longer ruled by our sinful nature, As children of God, the Holy Spirit has come to make his home in us. Christ governs our lives by his word and spirit. As redeemed people, we're no longer under the dominion of Satan. Christ is now our king. By his spirit, he helps us to live holy lives to the praise and glory of his name. Beloved, this is a message that gives us so much hope At times we can feel so defeated by sin and by the grip that Satan seems to exert in our lives. We can despair because it seems like nothing ever changes, like our problems just go on and on and on. Remember who your king is. Satan is not the ruler of the children of God. Christ won the victory over him on the cross and he sealed that victory by coming back from the grave. He has sent his spirit to comfort us, to guide us, to allow us to share in bountiful life with him. There's one final benefit we receive from Christ's resurrection. Our catechism says that Christ's resurrection is a sure pledge, of our glorious resurrection. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 18. He argues that if Christ has not been raised, then those who have died before us have perished. That only makes sense. If there is no such thing as a resurrection from the dead, then this life is all that we have. The average person today lives about 80 years. That's only a tiny speck on the timeline of eternity. It passes by really fast. We're here today and gone tomorrow. Paul writes, If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. The point, beloved, is that our physical death is not the end of life. Instead, it's a passing from this life into everlasting life. Those who believe that Jesus rose from the dead have comfort that Jesus will also raise them from the dead. On the final day, the Bible clearly teaches that we will be raised from the dead and that we will experience life with God on new heavens and a new earth. Job confessed this when he thought he was about to die. He said, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, Yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. Jesus also promised that we will share in his resurrection and life. In John 11 he said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. As children of God, we have hope for the future. Peter writes about that in 1 Peter 1. He says we've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Christ's resurrection gives us a living hope for the future. Why, you ask? The answer is quite simple. The end of every single person who lives on this earth is death. That is how it has been since the fall into sin, And that is how it will be until Christ returns. Death is a terrible reality, especially if that's the end of all life. If death is all we have to look forward to, then life in the sinful, broken world looks pretty bleak. Then, like Leo Tolstoy, we might think our lives have no meaning or purpose. Then we would despair, because no matter what we do here on earth, will be rendered meaningless by our death. The cycle of sin and death is something that has now continued for thousands of years. It's pretty depressing when you think about it, It's even more depressing when you're caught in the middle of it, when day by day you're faced with sin and with all its consequences in your life, when you suffer illness, depression, loneliness, or bereavement, when financial hardships or family difficulties or struggles with straying family members get on top of you. Sometimes we wonder, is there ever an end? to the downward spiral of our lives. And yet, beloved, in the midst of all our struggles and problems, we have hope. A living hope in Jesus Christ, based on his resurrection from the dead. Christ has broken that cycle of sin and death. He paid for our sins with his sacrificial death on the cross. He sealed his victory with his resurrection on the third day. Christ arose from the dead. He came alive again. As victor over sin, Satan, and death. That victory of Christ inspires us with new hope. Hope for a new life in Christ while we live on this earth. And hope for a glorious life with Christ eternally on new heavens and a new earth. Amen. In response to the gospel message, let's rise and sing from hymn 32.